0: The Psalms, and I learned the power of the Psalms under duress when I was in basic training. And you grabbed every opportunity you could just to get a fresh word from the Lord. And I, I took my Bible to basic training in the Air Force in San Antonio, Texas. But the only time you had to read the scripture was was just that little bit of time between lights out and when they came by and checked to make sure you were in bed. Maybe five, ten minutes at the most. And I would get my flashlight out, and I would read the Psalms. And uh, the amazing thing is the Psalms were designed to address every emotion that the human uh, is capable of feeling. Fear. Fear. Anger, joy, frustration, dread, all of those things are dressed in the Psalms. And so I, I fell in love with the Psalms. It is really God's songbook for His people. And so it's a joy for me just to continue that marching through the Psalms that you have been doing now for quite some time. I guess probably, what, a couple of years or so? You, you're in Psalm 113. I'm assuming that you've been in for at least almost two years or maybe a little bit more. Now, you have a, a handout and I just want to begin, I want to read the psalm and then uh, make some introductory remarks and then we'll get to the outline that you have there in front of you. Uh, well, I, I think I probably need to say this before I read Psalm 113. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 is called the Hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L, Psalms. Hallel in Hebrew means praise. Yahweh is the name of God. Hallel Yahweh. Hallel Yahweh. What does that sound like? Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah means praise Yahweh. The Hallel Psalms are Psalms that focus on praise. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 are called the Hallel Psalms. They're also called the Egyptian Psalms. And we'll recognize that next week when we look at Psalm 114, because the, the, the um, central theme of Psalm 114 is the exodus out of Egypt and what that meant to the children of Israel. So they, they call all of these Psalms the Egyptian Psalms. Now, one of the special aspects of these Psalms, 113 through 118, is that they were special psalms that were sung during holidays in the Jewish calendar. Pentecost, Passover, festivals, and new moons, except the new moon that brought in the new year. So, these psalms were always a part of the Passover celebration. Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 was always read at the beginning of the Passover celebration. Psalm 115, 16, 17, and 18 were sung at the end of the Passover celebration. So the interesting thing, and I think I have a fill-in-the-blank for you there, is that in the New Testament, whenever it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, that they sung a hymn... Some translations translate that. They sung a psalm, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. I looked this up this morning in the Jewish Bible. It's interesting how the Jewish Bible translates that. After singing the Hallel, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You see, the last thing Jesus did before he walked out of that upper room and headed toward the cross, was to sing the Hallel Psalms. Now, wouldn't it be amazing, wouldn't it be wonderful if, we had, if they had CDs back then? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I would love to have a CD of Jesus and His disciples singing the Hallel Psalms. But we just have to read it and use our sanctified imagination to hear our Lord and the disciples singing that." So in that opening paragraph, uh, Psalm 113 through 118 are known as the Hallel Psalms, and and it's translated hallelujah. And here's the amazing thing, I've worshipped with people in in Okinawa, I've worshipped with people in Central America, in South America, in Korea, in India, in Thailand. Here's the amazing thing. Hallelujah is universal. It doesn't matter what tribe you're with, what country you're in, when you say hallelujah, you're saying praise be to God. And everybody can understand what you're talking about. Now, uh, so let's launch in uh, to the psalm itself. And let me read these. This is a short one so we can just read it. At one time. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. That's translated. Hallelujah. That's those three words in English is one word in Hebrew. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yahweh. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Now, let me pause there and say that as is so often the case in the Psalms. He hides Verse is what this Psalm is all about. Listen to what it says. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? Now, that's what the Psalmist is wanting us to reflect on. Who is like God? How can we compare God to anybody or anything? There is no reference to compare Him to. He is so far above anything we can think or imagine that it's hard to really say God is like anything because He is unique. He stands on His own. In verse 6, here's He, he describes that God, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous Mother of children, praise the Lord. Notice that this psalm is a sandwich placed between two hallelujahs. He opens up with hallelujah or praise the Lord. He ends with hallelujah or praise the Lord. Now, I want to share three things this psalm divides so easily. All the psalms are not easy to outline. (laughs) Some of them are very difficult. But this is a short psalm and so it's easier to outline. And so here is the three divisions in this psalm. You might want to jot these down on your outline. Verses 1 through 3 presents this idea. God's name is greatest. So He deserves our lavish praise. Now, that's the theme of the first three verses. God's name is greatest. There there is no greater name than the name of God. We'll talk about that name in just a few moments. So He deserves our lavish praise. And then the second division is found in verses 4 through 6. And that division can be expressed this way. God's throne is highest, so he deserves our heartfelt worship. Verses 4 through 6. God's throne is highest, so he deserves our heartfelt worship. And then here's the third one, and last thing. It divides into verses 7 through 9. Here's the last division. God's love is kindest so he deserves our deepest gratitude." So that outlines the psalm. His name is greatest, so he deserves our lavish praise. His, thing, his throne is highest, so he deserves our heartfelt worship. And his love is the kindest we can ever find, so he deserves our deepest gratitude. Now, let's just look at those first three verses for just a moment. Uh, look at them again. He says, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Now, we said that His name is the greatest. What is the name of God? God reveals Himself throughout both Old and New Testament by His names. The major name that God's God self-revelation is found in the book of Exodus when Moses is encountering God at the burning bush. You'll remember that. And at that encounter with God, Moses asked God what his name is. And you'll remember what God said to him in return. He said, I am what? That I am. I am that I am. God revealed Himself as the self-existent one. I am. I didn't become. I wasn't created. But I have always been. He is self-existent. So, He is also eternal. He didn't say, I was or I will be. He says, I am. And the implication is, and I always have been. So, this great God is a self-existent, independent God. He doesn't need anyone or anything to fulfill Him. Now, when I was younger in the ministry, I remember in my first two or three years of the pastorate, I was reading a preacher who wrote a sermon in which he described the neediness of God. And he talked about how that God needed us. And I, for a little while, bought into that until I began to study further the nature of God and realized that God doesn't need Tommy Vinson. God is self-sufficient, which means He doesn't need anything or anyone outside of Himself to fulfill Himself. That's the kind of God we serve. And the amazing thing is, is this eternal, self-sufficient, self-existent God who needs nothing or nobody has condescended to reveal Himself to us and has revealed the fact that along with that self-existent, eternal, independent nature, He also is a God of grace. And we'll see that as this psalm uh, progresses in, in just a few minutes. So, first of all, we ask the question, who is to praise Him? Number one, it says, "Blessed uh, that praise Him, O servants of the Lord. So, who is to praise Him? The servants of the Lord. Now, who is that? Well, some say that that meant the tribe of Levi who were serving in the temple since this was a, a post-exilic psalm. It was written after uh, the exiles came back from their 70-year captivity in Babylon that, that maybe he's referring to the servants being the Levites who are serving in the temple. I don't accept that. I think it's much broader than that it has a wider application than that. There are places, for example, in Psalm 136, where the entire nation of Israel is called the servants of Jehovah. And I believe that God is saying, who, who, who is to worship? Who is to, uh, who is to be praised? Well, Yahweh is. And who is to praise Him? All of us are, the servants. Now, He is saying here that, uh, that uh, as a servant, We are to be available to serve Him, to love Him, to carry out His will upon the earth. Um, I I love, and I'm going to preach Sunday on Christmas from four perspectives. And it's amazing as you look at the four Gospels, how they deal with Christmas, all of them deal with Christmas differently. And especially the Gospel of Mark, because the Gospel of Mark doesn't even deal with Christmas at all, and it all hinges on, on, on Mark's purpose in writing. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to tell you what I'm going to preach Sunday. But but the, here's Mark is so different from Matthew. Matthew's presenting Jesus as King. Mark is presenting him as the servant, the servant. And so there is no genealogy in Mark. Nobody cares about the genealogy of a servant. But he models for us that perfect servant. And a part of being a servant is being a a worshiper, a heartfelt worshiper. So who is to worship? All of us are. We are servants of the Lord. Uh, And so that means that our, our, our worship, hey, listen, church, our worship is to be more than just flattery. Our worship is to be heartfelt. He, he's not impressed. God is not impressed when we show up one hour on Sunday morning and give a nod to God. Can I have an amen? That doesn't impress holy God of heaven who created the heavens and the earth, eternal, self-existent. No. Flatter, worship is not flattering God. He doesn't need our flattery. Worship is coming as a humble servant to submit ourselves to him. Who is to worship? Servants of the Lord. Now, when is he to be praised? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now, so when is he to be praised? From this time forth and forevermore. What does that mean? That means always. When is God to be worshipped? This time? Till the end of eternity. Good times? It's easy to worship God in the good times, isn't it? What about the bad times? Uh, listen to what the psalmist said. You, you, we'll study it later in Psalm 167. Uh, um, no, Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71. Psalm 119, 67 71. Here's what it says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. And verse 71 says, It is a good thing for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So we're to praise him at all times good times, bad times. Uh, Praise is not based upon circumstances, praise is based upon the nature of God. Uh, Let me me just say this what's what's the difference? Think, Think with me. What's the difference in thanksgiving and praise? You know, we sometimes quote that psalm, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. What's the difference? Well, we just finished thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has to do with what God does for us. But praise has to do with who God is for us. And so we praise him for his attributes. We praise him that he's omnipotent. We praise Him that He's omniscient. We praise Him that that He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. We praise Him for all of those things. We praise Him that He's a gracious God. So, who is to praise? Servants, every one of us. And when are we to praise Him? The good times and the bad times. Now, where is He to be praised? Look at verse 3. From the rising of the sun to the setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So so where is he to be praised? That kind of sounds redundant, doesn't it? That maybe he's talking there the same thing he was when we talk about when is he to be praised from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. But that's not it. He's not talking about when there, he's talking about where. So where is God to be praised? From where the sun comes up to where the sun comes down. That means he is to be praised worldwide. I sometimes think about that on sunday morning i I, I have a something the lord 's led me to do for a number of years, and on Saturday night or Sunday morning, I pray for the churches that have impacted my life in a powerful way. The churches that I grew up in the church uh, that I was a member of in Okinawa when I was in the military that really impacted my life greatly. And all of the churches that I've pastored, I pray for that church by name, their pastor, and I pray for every young man, every young woman that's come out of that church to go into full-time ministry under our ministry. I love to do that. But you know what I discovered? One Sunday morning I was praying for the pastor at Koza in Okinawa. And I happened to think, my soul, he preached 12 hours ago. I'm praying for God to bless him as he preaches today. He preached 12 hours ago. And it just made me realize the vastness of the kingdom of God, that God has people meeting in every time zone around this world on Sunday to worship him. And, and to me, that's, that's an amazing thing, that a carpenter from Nazareth is now worshipped around the world. So where is he to be worshipped? Look, he's, he's to be worshipped uh, from, from the time, uh, from, from, uh, 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 verse 3, uh, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Uh, listen to what, how Malachi deals with that. Malachi if you if you want to write down this reference. I just want to read that to you. Malachi said, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations. Hear that, church? That, that ought to make this church applaud because that's where your heart is. That's your DNA. And I applaud you for that. Notice what he says. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi put it like this. From the rising of the sun to the setting, my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, Abraham put it this way. In him, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. I, uh, I, one of my favorite books on missions is Piper John Piper's book Let the nations rejoice. The opening sentence of that book. Anybody know it? The opening sentence of that book says missions exist because worship doesn't. Wow. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You see this psalm is saying his name is to be praised. He is to be worshiped around the world. Now, we need to understand that that God is calling us not to do missions in order just in order to save souls. Now, that's a part of it. But we're trying to we're trying to gain worshipers. We're trying to evangelize so that God gets more glory. We're trying to see more people saved so that more people who are now saved will bring glory to God. Can you imagine how it would glorify God if the 22 million people who live in Mumbai, India, where I've been many times, if just half of them would get saved and start bringing glory to God? Can you imagine what it would do around this world if that happened? That's what the psalm is saying. Who is to praise? Servants. When? When? all the time. Where? Around the world. You see, can I, can I just say this? God is not an American. He's not a wasp. White, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. I don't know if that surprises you or not. But God's not a nationalistic God. He doesn't just belong to America. He doesn't just belong to Israel. He belongs to the world. Jesus Christ died for the world. For every tribe, every tongue, every language around the world. God wants to draw out from every tribe a people to bring glory to His name. And He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He didn't die in vain. He's going to do it. Well, and that's why Longview Point has missions in its DNA. I love that. God bless you for that focus in the life of your church. That's why I go to India every year. That's why I... Some of them are going to be beaten. Like one pastor I was teaching in India the last uh, two, the second time back when I was going, and I I, we were worshiping and I saw this precious brother worshiping out of his head. I, I just looked at him worshiping and I just felt like, my goodness, I don't know how to worship. Later I found out that that brother that they had come into his church while he was preaching, and they had. Stripped him naked in front of his people and had humiliated he and his family all because he was preaching the gospel of the grace of God. Oh, I just, I thought, man, I need to sit down. You need to come and teach me. You see, that's the DNA the psalmist is talking about. He wants to see God... Raise up pastors like that young man and and, and and the others that we try to pour into and see them go back into those villages and see people saved so that they can say hallelujah, God be praised. Okay? All right. Uh, here's the second thing. Uh, uh, let, me, let me give you one more thing before I forget it, before I so rudely interrupt myself. I want to share one other verse with you. It's a great verse, Psalm 22, three. Here's what it says. Now, th- this is the reason why we need to praise him. One of the main reasons. There's plenty of reasons. But let, let me just give you this reason. Psalm 22, three. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. Did you know God inhabits the praises of his people? And when God's people begin to praise Him from the heart, guess what? God shows up. He is there. He inhabits the praises of His people. All right, here's the second major point here. God's throne is highest, so He deserves our heartfelt worship. Uh, Let's look at verse 4 through 6 again. He says here, the Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth? Now, God's throne is presented here as higher than the heavens. And he's presenting to us, he's, it's almost like he's saying, I've made an understatement. He said, I've said that God is, Is higher than the nations. He said, that's not good enough. (laughs) That's an understatement. He said, "Let let me take it a step further. He's higher than the heavens. Now, he's higher than the heavens. That's an amazing statement. Imagine, if you will, just for a moment, all of the discoveries that's been made in outer space in the last 25 years. Uh, the, the Hubble telescope and all the research uh, about this universe, uh, there's been some great videos that have been presented that show the vastness of this universe and, and, and how many millions uh, of, uh, of, of, of universes, uh, galaxies like ours, there are out there. And it just stretches on, apparently, into infinity. And to think that when you get to that father's star, he said, God's throne is above that. Amen? Boy, that's a great God. God's throne is above the earth and the heavens. And, and so he's he's really pushing here that we worship him. Number one, verse 4 says we need to worship him because he is glorious. If you fill it in the blanks, we need to worship him because he is glorious. The Lord is high above the nations. Uh, that gives me courage. You know there are nations today that exist to try to promote atheism, agnosticism, But, you know, if we could just say to North Korea, you're fighting a losing battle. You're spitting into the wind because you're going to lose. You may exalt your nation. You may promote your atheism. But in the final analysis, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, he's saying worship because he is glorious. Number two, worship because of his greatness. He says, who is like the Lord? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? Well, let's summons together all of the great world thinkers. Aristotle, Plato, Solomon. Newton, Einstein. And then let's call together all the great religious leaders of the world Buddha, Confucius, Mohammed. Then let's summons all of the world conquerors Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Caesar. Now, who of all of them put together is like the Lord? Nobody. Nobody. He is incomparable. He is preeminent over all. Isaiah put it this way. He says, to whom will you liken God? Or what likeness can compare with Him? Micah said, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? You see, Micah was having, struggling with that. He said, how can you be a, a God as great as you are, and at the same time, you pass over transgression, you pardon iniquity? That's a great, that's a great truth, and, and that's, that's a humbling truth. That God, who could do anything, has chosen to act graciously toward us. Uh, this, This whole psalm teaches us that nothing is too great for God, and nothing is too small for God. We'll get to that in just a moment. And then he says, worship not only because he is glorious and because of his greatness, but verse 6 says we need to worship him because of his grace. Look at verse 6. Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth. God's love is the kind, the kindest, so He deserves our deepest gratitude. Uh, Let me just finish reading those last two verses, and then I'll comment on them. We'll be through. He says, uh, He raises, verse 7, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Two things those three verses tell us. His kindness is expressed to the indigent, and his kindness is expressed to the impotent. So if you're filling in the blanks, his kindness, first of all, is expressed to the indigent. He says that he reaches down. Now notice he's high above all creation, above the heavens. But he reaches down, and he uses two phrases in these last two verses. Reaches down to the person in the dust and the person in in the ash heap, or as King James puts it, in the dung hill. Now, who are those folks? Those that live in the dust and those that reside in the dung hill. Well, both of them epitomize the poorest of the poor and the meekest of human existence. And what he's saying is that God reaches from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. The ash uh, pit or ash dump or, um, is a place outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna. It is also used as a metaphor for hell. It was a place for the garbage dump. If you've ever been to Israel, they'll take you to what used to be the garbage dump or the Valley of Hinnon, or Gehenna. It was a place where all of the filth, refuse, uh, human excrement, uh, dead animals, dead beggars, dead lepers. It's where Everybody who needed to be disposed of was disposed. And they burned the bodies. It was a place of perpetual fire. Now, people who had no other place to go on a cold night would go to the ash heap because they could get warm by the ash heap. That's a horrible thing to think about, but that was the only place where they could go to find warmth. It was the lowest of the low. I wish I could introduce you to Monsi. Our ministry helps support Monsi. We're sending his son to a Christian school. Uh, Christians are very much bullied if they go to the schools in India where Um, Hinduism is pushed upon them and they're made to practice. But Mansi has a ministry in New Delhi that's unique. He ministers to the dump people. They're born, they live, and they die in the garbage dump of New Delhi. I can remember walking through the garbage just barely able to, to not trying not to breathe, as we walked a path to the back of that huge, huge garbage dump. And there they had put plastic on the ground and had a little worship service in the middle of the dump. And people were gathered around and sitting on top of stuff to hear the gospel. And then we prayed for for children for the long time. And I was amazed, I was amazed that right in the middle of the ash heap. There was the presence and power of God. And that's what the psalm is saying. God came into the ash heap. Now, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 just for a moment. I want to read this, and I, uh, this will be kind of the way we can close it out. Philippians chapter 2, presents to us a great, great picture of the condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he came from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows. And it says in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, I'm I'm reading from the ESV, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And he's telling us what the mind of Christ is like. even death on a cross. Now do you see those steps downward, being in the form of God? Then he became a man, he became a servant, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That, those are steps that God took down from his throne in the person of his Son. He came to the dust. He came to the dung heap, the ash heap then notice what it says. After he did that, after he came, and after he died, even the death of the cross, it says, Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things on earth, and under the earth. You see, this psalm is messianic in that it is presenting a picture in shadow and type of what God is going to do through His Son when He leaves the highest of heavens and He comes in condescending ways down to the dust and the ash heap to die on a cross for your sins and for mine. And then He closes with this amazing thought. And it seems to be... Out of nowhere. It just seems to come from nowhere. When he closes this whole psalm with this word, notice what he says. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Why? Why would he start talking about barren women? Well, it's it's easy to understand. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, the last two verses of this psalm is lifted almost directly from a prayer Hannah prayed when she was praying for God to give her a son. And God gave her a son. What was his name? Samuel. Great prophet Samuel. And so the psalmist is lifting that out of Hannah's prayer, and he's saying that just as God gave Hannah the desires of her heart, I think he's speaking in a general sort of way. I don't think there's any guarantee here that every, I think he's saying this, that God cares about you wherever you are. But now listen to this. I'm, I'm, I've said I'm through. I'm, I am through this time. And this brings us to Christmas. Let's close with a little Christmas, Okay. If you'll look in Luke chapter 1, after Mary discovers that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and the announcement to her by the angel, she voices a a song, a Magnificat. And if you'll read that song, you'll discover that she lifted part of that song right out of Hannah and Hannah's prayer and right out of Luke I mean Psalm 113. And so this ties this psalm to the birth of our Lord. So isn't it good God's timing is perfect that here as we enter in to the Christmas season we can see how God was preparing the world through these prophetic precious prophetic psalms for the day when this woman who would have a child, and that child would change the world. I got a closing statement I want to make. Didn't I say I was through? Yeah, here I am. It says he lifts us up. That's amazing. He takes it out of the pit, out of the ash heap, and it says, He, did you see what it said? He lifts them up and sets them by princes. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter 2. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. When Christ by grace you have been saved, and listen to this, church, and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what God does for us. He raises us out of, off of the ash heap, and He puts us in the heavenly places with Him. Remember, God is the greatest of the great, but He reaches down condescendingly to the lowest of the low. He loves the indigent. He loves the impotent. He loves us all.